Good morning, everyone. Happy Monday. It is January 22nd, and I'm so glad you decided to start off your week with the Uncharted Podcast. This week, we are diving into the topic of resilience with one of my really good lifelong childhood friends, Kat. Kat, from a very young age, had huge dreams. I mean, astronomical dreams. Except at multiple points in her life, she was given some major, major no's. We're talking life knocks you out on your butt, kicks you out, and makes you totally rethink who you are and what you want to do. In fact, Kat gets pretty personal about some tough years that she has had in the first four years with her wonderful husband through their career struggles, changing their path, and figuring out how to just keep going. I know you're going to learn so many good tips on how to be resilient, how to reframe your thinking, and maybe even ask yourself if what you're doing is really the thing that you want to do in the future. So with that, I'll leave the rest of it up to Kat and we can get started. Let's go. Hello. Welcome to the Uncharted Podcast. (laughs) Hi, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for everyone listening. I have Catherine Heidenthal on the line today, and I'm so excited because Kat is one of my very oldest lifelong friends. We have known each other since, I guess, technically elementary school, then we went to different schools for part of it, and then found ourselves back together in middle school and um, eventually became really good friends. I think we probably solidified it during some presidential campaign and we were on the same team for debates, but it's been, what, like, I don't know, 15 years? (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) Really like to count at that point. (laughs) Okay, we'll just say lifelong friends now. (laughs) So Kat is living in Richmond with her wonderful husband and has such an interesting story. Honestly, I don't think either of us are in a life situation that we ever would have predicted when we were back in middle school. However, I really actually like that because it speaks a lot to our character and the journeys that we've been on and we're still very much true to who we are by kind of allowing our past to go all different ways. And so this week, I thought we would talk all about resilience because Kat is one of the most resilient people you will ever meet. (laughs) And you will definitely understand why as you hear a story. But I guess with that, let's just get started. Sound good? Yeah, works for me. Awesome. So since I told our little intro of how we know each other, can you tell everyone a little bit more about you and your background? Kind of, I guess we'll do like what college was like, what you thought you were going to do when you first started studying. So what I thought I was going to do basically my entire life was I was going to grow up and become an astronaut. And I totally <laughs> forgot about that, but you totally did. And I love you for that. <laughs> um, and this didn't change when I went to college. I built my entire life around this. I was going to go to college. I was going to study aerospace engineering. I was going to go into the Navy. I was going to fly 
fighter jets and then become an astronaut. And I based all of this on looking at who were astronauts and working their career backwards and trying to mimic. Were you like doing research about astronauts when we were like eight years old? Um, and careers? In, uh, I think it was when I first went to space camp that I said I was going to be in the Navy. <clears throat> so it was in sixth grade. But I was oh, like, all right, space camp. Yeah. So I was like, most astronauts are in the Navy, so I should be in the Navy so that I can become an astronaut. And then that's that was my plan until college. Like, somewhere in there, I got a passion for politics. So it was like, after I'm done being an astronaut, I'll go into politics, I think. <laughs> Save the world from the outside first and then inside. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I got a full ride to college, a uh, full Navy scholarship. And I went to college, and this was in 2009. And for those that don't remember, the <laughs> 2009 was the first big governmental shutdown because they couldn't agree on a budget. Uh-huh. And one of the things they decided when they finally did agree on the budget was they were going to cut scholarships, military scholarships, because that was how they were going to cut the military budget, because they didn't want to cut you know, things that would actually affect the current troops. And so I came back from winter break, and my scholarship was gone. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. So painful. Yeah. yeah, it was a very painful moment in my life. This was something I'd planned. Gone out of state for college, so it was a yeah. very, you went to Virginia Tech. Great school, but very expensive. Exactly. I was in a military program inside of Virginia Tech, so think, like, you know, Annapolis or West Point on sharing a campus with Virginia Tech. So it was like, this was my life, and this was supposed to be my life, and all of a sudden my scholarship was gone. And it was pretty devastating, but somewhere in there I decided to take it as a moment to figure out if this is what I really wanted to do because I was really struggling in aerospace engineering. I just wasn't enjoying it. It felt very forced and not natural. And I realized the only class I cared about that semester was an elective I took just to fulfill a requirement. (laughs) (laughs) And that was personality psychology. And so I decided that if I was the only class I cared about, then maybe I should try that out. And I then went into psychology and was told that because I was in psychology now and was not in a STEM based major that I wouldn't be able to be picked up for a commission so that I could still go into the Navy. And I think like I just was okay with that. I didn't really fight for it at that point. Do you think if you had wanted to fight for it, you could have, or they were just like, no, you have to be in a STEM related field. That's the track. um, Because there were other kids who were in psychology who ended up commissioning. And so I just, I didn't fight for it, which is not me. (laughs) no not at all (laughs) you were not someone to just like sit back and not fight for what you want to do and so I think that I was just like I had decided that if I was still going to go in the Navy it wasn't going to be that route through commissioning from Virginia Tech that because even if I did that I still would have had to go into a more traditional Navy career based Uh on how the Navy has structured things and I was just so in love with psychology that at that point it was, well, maybe I'll go into the Navy as a psychologist, but the path for that's a little bit different. And so I just, like, I didn't fight for it through the ROTC on school. Then I got involved through internships and in mental health, and I just loved it so much that 
the Navy didn't matter anymore, and being an astronaut didn't matter anymore. I'm still <laughs> going to go to space. <laughs> this is still a lifelong bucket list to go into outer space. <laughs> that hasn't changed, but I don't need to be an astronaut to do that. <laughs> You'll just buy one of those tickets. <laughs> yeah, I'll just buy one of those tickets, or hopefully enter myself into one of the lotteries where my name gets drawn because I can't afford a million dollar ticket at this point. <laughs> you know. So you, so you did psychology and, and got into mental health, and then where did that take you? Did you finish? Well, obviously, I secretly know what you did, but for the audience, did you finish the military program? So, no, I did all but one semester <laughs> in the military program, but it was leaving was two things for me. One, they only require you to commit complete four semesters to be considered an alumni. So I knew I oh. wasn't going to be losing that and all of those connections. And my second semester, my senior year, I didn't get a position in the military school. And so I would have just been a body. And oh. I knew that that was not enough and that it would doing that would probably cause me to be spiteful and resentful for a program that had given me so much and that was not okay and that it was better to walk away at that point than to take it too far and end up hating something that I loved and had given me a lot including my husband well my future <laughs> husband but my boyfriend <laughs> at the time so yeah I chose to walk away at that point which it was also because of that I was going to be working night shifts in a mental health inpatient institution and the schedule was too strict in the military program for me to balance both and I had to go all in in mental health at that point and so I moved off campus got an apartment and started working night shifts while I finished school <laughs> that's a typical college student's final <laughs> semester <laughs> yeah it's fine so I know that that was a really big decision for you and the ability to walk away from something when you know it's time. Like I think the ability to recognize that is so unique because I think many people kind of like they might start to see the signs or maybe they're ignoring them when they're in a scenario where they've kind of like overstayed their welcome or they've gotten all they can get out. Mm -hmm. And I want to get into that, but I'm actually going to push that to a little bit later in the episode because now that we know your background and what you thought you were going to do and what you thought success to be to achieve your dreams, mm -hmm. I wanted to bring up, we talked about this a little bit, an article that was actually in... Actually, I think it was in Monster first, but then it got picked up by Business Wire and the Today Show and Good Morning America this past week that said within the psychology realm, psychology and consulting realm, there was a new type of person. So I think we're very familiar with type A, type B. I think you and I both are, <laughs> if we only limit us to those two, we're very, very type yeah. A people Been on our whole life. And this new book came out by mother-daughter consulting team, Amma Marston and Stephanie Marston. And it is called Type R Transformative Resilience for Thriving in a Turbulent World. And basically what the entire book is about is this new type of personality, this type R or resilient people who happen to be the most successful in life because they're the people who can really adapt to change and failure. And then anytime where there's a less than ideal point in their life or a really hardship, they actually use that 
as a time to grow and kind of like using those tough times as a catalyst for growth and opportunity rather than seeing them as a setback. And as I was reading that, I thought so much about you because weeks and weeks ago, we did an episode about the no's that we get in life and how hard that can be to kind of overcome those. And you left a comment on the episode and you said, you know, I'm so thankful for those no's and those crazy moments in your head where you feel like, everything is just kind of basically going to shit. And he said, the last time both Chris, your husband, and I were both employed for an entire year was 2014. And while it's never been what was planned, it's changed us in some pretty big ways. Now we're staring down some amazing offers and trying to figure out the logistics to make some pretty big leaps, which I think is so, well, first of all, that comment is just so inspiring. But it's also January 21st, 2018. So it's been four years. You guys have been married for four years. Yeah. Well, the entire so time we've, mar we've been married, we haven't both been employed for an entire year. The year was so, the year we were engaged. So your entire first four years of marriage, out of school, like you weren't in school when you were married, out of school... There has not been a time until, well, there hasn't been a time for a whole year, consecutive 12 months, where you've both been employed. And some of that has been by choice, and some of that has been due to some perceived no's. So what have the past four years been like? Because you did come out of college, and you got a job offer totally in your new passion and new career field that you were going for, and then what happened? Yeah, it's kind of crazy because... When we both graduated, we both had full-time jobs awaiting us, which most graduates can't say. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know? It was seamless. We stayed in the same apartment, and we turned off part-time jobs into full-time jobs. That's what happened. And, yeah, so we thought that, you know, we were one of the lucky ones, and that we'd worked hard, and now was our new life, where we were just going to be employed and go to work and figure out life as adults, right? Then we decided to move to Richmond, Virginia. I was craving a bigger city, and Chris's family had moved to Richmond, and so it was like a good place to go because there were people here, and it uh -huh. was going to be a city, and Chris was pretty burnt out at his current job. He had wanted, at that point, he decided he wanted to move into the financial field because he was currently doing something different. And he had majored in econ, and so he was just ready to take on what he had actually planned to do. And we knew that a city was going to be more likely to offer those sorts of financial structured roles. So I got a job first, and I moved and left him behind. And he stayed in Blacksburg until our lease ran out, ran out and then he followed us. And... Which was how many months again? Was that like four four months? No, months? it was two and a half months. Um, but still, two and a half months for sheer marriage. Yeah. <laughs> Apart. Um, so he didn't find a job, but our lease had ended, and he thought that coming here and just like really applying hard into jobs was the best option. And he got here and did that. And found a job pretty quickly, working for a bank. So that was great, and he was enjoying his job. But there was a time there while he was employed, and we were living with his brother, and that was super stressful. I think it took him a month to find a job, which in the grand scheme of things is pretty quickly, but it didn't feel quick at the time. 
Yeah, you're not in your own space. Yeah. You're even though you're living with family, you're still in someone else's home and kind of exactly. feeling like I don't have a job. I, you know, all of that. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, so then it's 2016 and I'm pretty burnt out to, to put it lightly <laughs> in my job working in mental health. The job I was working in was a very high stress job for anyone in mental health. And I just did not have supportive supervisors. And mm. that's what I will always say about mental health is that you need supervisors that are going to back you and um, encourage your own self-care and your own work-life balance because that's the only way you can survive such a high-stress job. And mine did not. I had at that point been on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 10 months. Uh-huh. I had only had four days of vacation <laughs> in said 10 months, and I was just completely burnt out. And even those, vac- let's like preface... <laughs> Your vacation days would have included if you took Christmas off, if you yeah, took I, I didn't Thanksgiving. <laughs> I just had two days at Thanksgiving and two days a week following Christmas, and that was it. Um, I worked Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. And when I was home, I was still on call. Like, when I went home to see my family, I was still on call. It, was, it wasn't a true vacation. And I was just really burnt out. And then everything kind of came to a head when I was put in a situation where I didn't feel comfortable with my personal safety and I removed myself from the situation and I was reprimanded for it. And that's just when I was done. I, it was definitely, it was like, it was a snapping point at that moment where I was like, you know what, like, if you don't value me, you don't value my de- my decisions, because at this point I've been working for you for almost a year, and you don't recognize that I know what I'm doing, and nothing bad happened, and I handled it appropriately, and everyone is safe, then I, I can't work for you anymore. Right, and, it's like that basic level of trust to be an adult and, and make the right call. Exactly, and it just, it wasn't there between me and my supervisor. So I literally packed my bags and walked out that day with no plan. <laughs> <laughs> but Chris had a job at this point. Yeah, Chris had a job. We were in an apartment. Um, and we've always Just been planners. Consult with him. No. Um, we've always been planners, so, you know, we always have a rainy day fund. So I knew that, like, we weren't going to be filing bankruptcy. But <laughs> other than that, I had no plan. And I really took the time to figure out what I wanted. And what I had realized was that in doing the job that I, in the field I was so passionate about, because it became work, I had lost all passion for it. And I couldn't, it was too much for me to be all in that field at that point, which Chris and I did conversation years prior about that because I was working with youth and I had been like, look, I am already seeing in myself that like, like when we choose to have children, I can't. I can't be with kids at work and kids at home. Like I can't have the same arguments and come home and give a hundred percent to my kids. So I had already known that like something was going to have to change, whether that meant I was going to move into management or make a whole career shift. I didn't know. I really thought I would just move into management. So yeah, there I was unemployed for four months, figuring out life. <laughs> and, and again, relooking at what was your second now passion and path. And now you're like, oh, now I need, do I need a totally different one? Yeah, exactly. So then I ended up going to work for the same bank as Chris in a different department, and I loved it more than I ever thought. I mean, honestly, part of taking the job at that point was I'd been unemployed for four months, and I just 
we're running out of savings <laughs> to be frank with you um, and I knew I wouldn't hate it because Chris worked there and so I knew kind of what environment I was walking into I wasn't walking in completely blind and I loved it I I loved the work-life balance I realized that all of the things that I do in my personal life like make lists and check them off and make attainable <laughs> you can do that at a bank and get paid for it Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Um, <laughs> you can get paid for like your personality type. <laughs> exactly. And that while I still love helping people and I now volunteer with that to feed that passion, those were the things that I couldn't, you can't do that in mental health. You can't measure the impact you're making in mental health. So yeah, I have been working there for a year and a half now. And then this past fall, <laughs> I was laid off from the same bank. Chris was, not you. Yeah, Chris was laid off. I stayed, and he was laid off, which, thank God, we didn't both get laid off. I'm not sure how we would have handled that one. And then for, again, four months, he was unemployed, and he's now employed again and is absolutely in love with his job. But so, yeah, that's our bumps in, <laughs> bumps in the road of continued unemployment. So now we're we're praying and fighting that 2018 will be the year to <laughs> <laughs> Well, and it's so funny because now you're, well, you both work for the same company, which is kind of like sweet and full circle that you both met in college in the same program, both left the program, went into your own things, and now you're in the same field, so far away from what you ever thought you wanted, and yet you'll like constantly text me and be like, oh my God, I had the best day, or I'm doing so well at work, or I feel like such a badass right now. And yeah. to be honest, I'm so excited for you. But I think even now, it's been a year and a half, and every time you text me that, I'm so shocked because it seems so different than what you wanted, and yet you're so good at it. And it was, it seems like all those times where someone else might have perceived it as a failure that you weren't doing, you weren't good enough in aerospace and that was your dream and you, and you had to change. Then you went to psychology, but it couldn't get you on the career path you wanted and so you had to change. And then you were in mental health and even though you knew your worth and your value, someone else didn't perceive it and it forced you to change. And so like you were constantly forced into these positions where I think other people could have very easily been like, I must be failing, I'm doing something wrong. And while I'm sure you felt like that some days, you never really stayed in that. Like, you never sat in that emotion really for longer than, like, a few days or a week or stuff. And you were always able to pull yourself back up. Like, are there things that happened earlier in your life or just aspects of your personality that allow you to kind of keep going and to always look at these as growth opportunities? So, yeah. I mean, I definitely think that part of being in sports growing up helped with that mm. that I learned failure very quickly very young and I didn't have parents that were so wrapped up in my failure that it was their failure <laughs> but, yeah you know. oh my gosh that's a big one um and so that helped that when they were like you know life goes on kid you know like lovingly and supportively but life goes right. on I very just quickly learned that failure was part of life and I am someone who is a big proponent and like continuing to learn and continuing to grow. And so somewhere along the line, I just put the two together. You know, that's not to say that it's been easy. You're right. Like there were days, maybe weeks where I, <laughs> and I think that 
that's part of the process now is that uh-huh. you gotta sit in the sadness and the grief and all of the terrible feelings and process through them so that you can then stand up and put them aside. And kind of know that, like, all right, I've, I've at least let myself live it. Because if you bury them down far enough, they're going to bubble up at some point. Yeah, exactly. They're going to explode. And that no one wants that. And so to just, like, feel the pain and then stand up and dust yourself off and try to figure out what's next. And, you know, in those moments where I was like, all right, I'm meeting a crossroads. Where am I going? I definitely, like, I looked back and there were... At times I I could see, even then, and I see them even bigger now, that there were things that I had outgrown and that for the signs had been there longer than I had realized. And that... Do you have an example of that? um, Like moving, like going to becoming an astronaut, you know? I think that at some point it was just so ingrained in me that I I wasn't necessarily owning it anymore. And so, you know, when things like I was not enjoying aerospace i was like all right what am i gonna do now and then it was like the reason i wasn't like i wasn't that good at it because i wasn't trying that hard exactly i mean you're a very very smart person so probably had you like really wanted it and thrown yourself into it even harder you could have but like you said it felt forced like it was a childhood Mm -hmm. dream that you had ultimately outgrown Yes. So when I like moved into psychology, it was like, I realized like the signs were there longer than I realized that it wasn't just, it's not, it wasn't something that happened overnight, you know, that when I looked back, I I wasn't enjoying, you know, math as much as I had used to in high school, that probably starting my senior year in high school, I was kind of over it. I could do it, but it wasn't fun anymore, you know, and just those sorts of things that when I looked back, it was like, oh, okay, like, this isn't something that just happened. It's like, I've been slowly growing and evolving, and I'm now at a point where I can notice that. Do you feel like there are things more recently where, because you're more aware of situations like that, and you, you've kind of gone through these moments where life almost had to, like, make you address the signs that you were ignoring, that you pay more attention to them now, or, like, scenarios that you have pulled yourself out of? Um... Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that I'm more aware of it all now, you know, and when Chris was laid off, I think that my resiliency carried us through because he's not, he's, he's, he's a type B person, you know, he's very <laughs> easy going, go with the flow, gets along well with everyone. They'll be fine. <laughs> and so that just being like, look, like there are bigger and better things out there. We just have to figure out what they are. And that you weren't as invested in your job anymore. You had started working on special projects instead of doing your true role because you're already growing out of this role. And mm. so, like this layoff is going to give you the time to like really put in the energy to apply for jobs instead of like trying to balance applying for jobs while still doing a full-time job. You right. Know? Cause you're like, well, I already have a job in, in a way. It almost feels like, like a small gift because Mm -hmm. it forces you to act yeah exactly i definitely think that that's something that's more recent you know and just like this summer was crazy for us chris's grandfather got sick while we were trying to buy a house and the house buying process did not go as smoothly as we had intended and even though we work in the mortgage industry, so we understood the ins and outs, and we were like, oh, this will be easy. Like, I understand <laughs> that now. It's not what happened. Um, and I think that, like, that was definitely a time where my resiliency pulled through, that it was just like, you know what, like, I'm going to fight for this house, and I'm going to do what I need to, but in the end, if it doesn't happen, it's not my house. 
and I was yep. okay with that like, whole stressful process. So, yeah. Which kind of goes back to a lot, like, what we talked about in Dana's episode weeks ago. And it's funny, like, every guest that I've had on always brings it up, whether they say it directly or not. Of You have to get to this point in your life when something doesn't happen, you can be okay with it. And you can kind of get to the resolve of, all right, this house or this job or this relationship or this scenario wasn't for me. For whatever reason, it wasn't for me right now. Exactly. Um, and I think that, that, like, that's definitely something that comes along with the resiliency. And I think that, like, I do feel like for me, it, I've had it for so long that it feels a little bit innate. But I, I think uh-huh. it's something that can be learned. I mean, part of that's just the psychologist in me being like, you can always learn. <laughs> You know, of course, <laughs> learning is a huge part of life, no matter how old you are and no matter what you're choosing to learn, you can learn to have any personality type you want. And that, you know, choosing that in the hard to figure out the learning in it and what I'm learning in this moment and how it's changing me and how I'm growing and appreciating that, I think, is something that we can all practice the article that you referenced that first was talking about the type resilience, one of the quotes in it mm-hmm. was, carve out a space in each day where you are able to spend time without facing any judgment from others or from yourself. Analyze what happened mm. and then let it go. All of it. And I think that that's I how... I love that. Yeah, and I think that that's how we can practice it, is that every single day we do things that we're like, oh, maybe I should have done that better, maybe I should have said that differently... Yeah, it's so easy to get into your head and say, like, oh, my God, why didn't I do this or that? And I think men and women are probably very similar in this, but I, as a woman, women, I can actually speak to that, that, it, like, everything you can get into the overthinking of, why didn't I say this? Why didn't I do this? And, actually, well, it, this is a male example. My brother was here. Uh, two weeks ago, he was interning with our company and he had wanted to text someone that he's known his whole life and, you know, isn't much older than him, but he just always really looked up to him and respected him and probably had more of a professional relationship with him. And he was going back and forth of like, what do I say? How do I phrase it? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know, like start the text message. However you would talk to a friend, like, like, cause he was just trying to check in and we went back and forth of this for like 20, 25 minutes. He's worried about punctuation and grammar. And then he sent it and he's like, oh, I should have said this. And it was so funny because the response back was like, yo, homie, what's up? <laughs> I was like, are you serious, Colin? Like, <laughs> but like, it, it just shows, and he's 17. So from the youngest age all the way through adulthood, it's so easy to harp on all the little things that we do throughout the day. And when you do that day after day, that starts to wear you down. Exactly. And I think that if we can practice the resilience on the small stuff, we've then already mentally prepared ourselves when the big stuff comes. Oh, that's a good point, too. So if you look at it from day to day or or weekly, I guess, maybe... Is that, like, journaling for people? Is it just taking, like, a mental inventory and sitting with it? Or 
what are your recommendations? I think it definitely depends on the person. Um, for me, I'm definitely like a visual and tactile person. So journaling yeah. definitely helps me process things. Whether it's typing or handwriting, um, it helps me process things better. But I think it depends on, you know, some people get the quiet in their head when they go running and so they can process those mm. things then or some people who are more verbal processors if they can find someone who isn't going to spit judgment back at them and yeah process those things with them but like look i said this thing to my boss and i just feel like such an idiot and i just like i can't believe i said that and have that person be like yeah that's unfortunate and just like leave it there um that's one way that you can do it. I think a lot of it is just going to depend on your learning style because it's, it's your learning to be resilient. You're learning to be okay with these moments and just like letting them go. And so that's what I would recommend is however you naturally learn things would be the easiest way to do that. Oh, that's a good point. Almost like thinking back to even when you were in school or mm-hmm. how you remember certain things. Does it come through discussions with people does it come through like sharing stories or sometimes it's just like watching things and witnessing yeah exactly there is a book well several of um Brene Brown's book she Brene Brown is a shame researcher that's what Mm -hmm. she's called herself um all of her books are phenomenal but she speaks a lot to the shame partner is kind of what she titles it and it's what you said having that person where you can call up and maybe it's one or two but it's not everyone it's just like one or two people that you can call up at any point in time and say and just kind of like word vomit like I did this ridiculous thing I said this I reacted this way to the boss and they can kind of not necessarily talk you off the ledge because they're not a they shouldn't be a therapist but it should be someone who can say like i hear you and like you get it off the chest and then they can kind of remind you like okay but that was just in that moment that's not who you are always Mm -hmm. so how can you do better yeah but like you said not not giving you don't want your shame partner to be you call and you're like oh my god i said this ridiculous thing to my sister and i called her all these names and i i just was so mad and you don't want, like, the person on the other end to be like, why would you do that? Like, what's wrong with you? Are you not getting enough sleep? Or were you drinking? Like, that's not the person you want. <laughs> no. No. But at the end, like, at, the, at first, like, the why isn't what matters, you know? Like, it is what it is. I've already done it. I don't need to beat myself up over it. Mm-hmm. And having someone who can support you in that. I think is amazing and whether that's a friend or a spouse or a mom you know I think that finding that person and utilizing them is very important absolutely and you can even joke around or just loving me say like tell that person be like mm-hmm. is it okay if like you're my person that I ask these things with like one of one of my good friends so I won't name her by name but she knows that like that she's my person where sometimes I'll text her, I'm like, I really need to, like, tell you something shameful right now because I feel like putting my head in a sandbox. And, like, but, like, she knows, and she's like, okay. And then, you know, she works the same way back, and you know that whatever you say, it's good. And then you can move forward. And then you're like, okay, that's behind me. It's done. 
Yes, exactly. And I think it's important that that person doesn't try to problem solve for you. Mm, also a good point. That and being like, all right, well, you said this ridiculous thing in front of your boss, or you accidentally sent this email to the whole company. Okay, this is how you're going to go to work and fix it tomorrow. Like, no, that's not the that's not the process here that we're practicing. You know, it's the just like the being okay and realizing that you did something that is unsettling in some way and letting it go. That's what we're practicing. And if you let it go on your own, then you have the ability to come back and figure out if you do need to problem solve on your own. Uh, Instead of having... That's a really good point. Should you ever go back to that person to problem solve or should you really try to keep them separate? I think you could do it either way. You know, if you're like, all right, I need to have my moment where I'm shameful. And uh-huh. then you're like, okay, now how am I going to fix this? <laughs> you know, if you can articulate that, like, these are two different, these are two very different moments. <laughs> I think it's okay for it to be the same person but some people are just super empathetic and great listeners and aren't natural problem solvers so maybe it's two different people for you and that's okay too yeah that is, that's a good point do you having studied so much in psychology and mental health are there times that you personally have noticed with yourself or just working with others when you become rest, or I'm sorry, less resilient to life? Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, so I have struggled with anxiety since high school. Something that I've learned to be just like very open about, where I used to be shameful about it. And there are definitely moments where if I'm not practicing my self-care, or there's just a lot of crazy going on right now where my anxiety gets the best of me. And it's in those moments where it's hard for me to be resilient and see that I can learn and grow from this moment. And, you know, a lot of it is in the winter with the lack of sun. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh my God. Um, I definitely feel the anxiety beast really rearing up faster. And so that's when it's really important for me to practice my self care, to just like keep myself centered and not give in to the ugly, nasty, mean girl thoughts that are going on in my head so that I can be resilient. But if I, I give in to my anxiety or life's just really crazy, that sometimes I'm just an anxious mess and I don't have the ability <laughs> <laughs> in those couple of days <laughs> to, like, be resilient and see that, like, I am learning and growing and that it's okay that my car broke down and yesterday that I do have another vehicle, you know, like sometimes I'm just like, I can't believe I'm in town. <laughs> you want to be like, why is this still happening to me? Why do bad things happen to me? Dramatic girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And, and if you like, if you ever have those moments, cause I, for someone who had so many car problems this past summer, I know how easy it can be to get there and like, feel like, Oh, this is always just going to keep happening. But when you keep looking at life that way, life is going to happen. Right. Like life is going to happen no matter what. So you can either choose to see all the things that went wrong in the day, or you can choose to look at the things that went right and the things that went wrong. Maybe they gave you some sort of opportunity. Yeah. That's a great example. All right, love. Well, we're nearing our time though I'm, I feel like I want to like bring you back on quarterly because <laughs> I, I love talking about the psychology behind things and mental health because I think it's really 
in, like important for people to realize they are not alone and at a mental level all mm-hmm. humans go through this and it's just how you react to things so I feel like a lot of people would benefit yeah. from your tips I definitely think that realizing you're not alone is huge and that it helps a lot of people for sure oh that actually reminds me the other thing before we go into our fire (laughs) fire questions if someone is currently in a scenario like you like maybe they're finishing college and they don't they haven't gotten a job yet or they're they were laid off or like feel like they're in a Let's do those two scenarios. Like they haven't been, they've been applying for jobs and they're not getting anything or they were laid off on their job. Um, and this is now stretching a long period of time since you've kind of personally gone through that, both witnessing Chris and then you yourself, what is your recommendation for them? Like how should they best position their story so that doesn't become a burden for them, but more of an asset in their search and interviews? Um, I think that, so one of the things that I did while I was unemployed, one, both to keep myself busy and to two, to have something on my resume, was I spent a ton of time volunteering for Habitat for Humanity, which is something I'm really mm-hmm. passionate about already. But then it was like, all right, well, I can't say I've been sitting on the couch for four months. Um, so, <laughs> you know, when people are like, oh, what have you been doing this time? I, I was honest in saying that I was, this was a big career shift and I was doing some soul searching, but also saying that I was getting involved in something else that I'm passionate about. Um, one, it shows that like you do care about other things other than work and it keeps you busy. So like it, so during those times where you're like, just like, why am I unemployed and I can't find a job? Yep. And then you're sitting there in those thoughts and (laughs) you know what? Like habitat is from seven to three. Like that's a huge chunk of the day. And it was a time for that. I could go do something else for someone else and not worry about what applications I'm submitting that day. Um, so whatever so that important. Be, you know, like, whether it's you go see your mom and you haven't seen her in a long time, or you find something to volunteer for, you know, I think that, you know, pouring out into others will help you get through that moment where you're like, I feel like I'm failing at everything. Mm. Every application is not coming back, and I feel like a failure. So go pour into someone else, because that everyone's good at that. Like, if you, it, in some way, we're all good at helping others. Yeah, you just and, have to find your thing that you can. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and you can't like you and I talked about this. We're we're like, all right, you can't spend eight hours a day searching for jobs or submitting no. applications. Like, you will actually lose your mind. And then the jobs that you probably want, you're probably not even doing a good job on this. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You're not putting as much effort into, like, prepping yourself for the resume. And then, like, there was a point where I had applied for so many jobs because I was just, like, throwing stuff at the wall. But when <laughs> someone would call me, I would be like, wait, what? <laughs> you know? Sorry, what? Oh, I totally forgot I applied with your company. Like, that's, like, they're not going to call me back after that. <laughs> And that was, I think it was, that was when I was like, all right, I need to do something else to keep balance in all of this. Like, what is something that's, like, going to keep me more sane? And that was when I started just pouring myself into Habitat for Humanity. Which is so awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's something I'm passionate about. And then it led, me spending that much time over that summer volunteering led to me being asked to be on their board, which is now how I'm able to still feel like I'm giving back while I'm working in corporate America. 
Yeah, and you're, you're well, now you're 27, you're Seth's birthday, but you're 27 years old and sitting on a board. Like, yeah. I mean, who would have thought? <laughs> totally not me. <laughs> you know? Like, it's so, life is weird, and I think one of my friends texted me the other day, I think he said, life is weird and awkward and funny all at the same time, but it's also wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> wonderful and amazing, too. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, I know you have like a pajama party or something wonderful to go to tonight. So we'll start to wrap up, but we're going to kick off the new year again with our rapid fire questions that we do with all of our guests. So really quickly, what are three things that were some small wins for you this week? And they can be career or just life or family stuff, whatever. So working out for six days this week, that was pretty Yeah, we did. <laughs> so there's that one. I also organized my closet today. Oh, that's an awesome win. Yeah. Especially I, for us type A people. That's like very calming. And it, it was very calming. Um and I cleaned out my car, which is also gonna make my commute tomorrow better because it won't be stressing me out. <laughs> uh, I've been saying I'm going to clean out my car for a month, so. You should probably do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I think those are my three small wins. All right. Uh, and then what is a small win or something you want to work towards completing by next weekend for this week? I want to figure out a nighttime routine and then stick to it. Ooh, like, a, like a nighttime facial routine or like a reading, calm down routine? Right now, I kind of like half fall asleep in front of the couch, and then I brush up <laughs> into bed, and then I'm suddenly awake again. You know, and I've studied sleep a lot when I was trying to help my clients who were struggling with sleep. And having like a fixed routine helps trigger your body to get ready. So, like, oh, off the TV instead of just like getting tired, and then so intent. Hope the, the goal is something along the lines of then, like, brushing my teeth, washing my face, getting in pajamas, getting my essential oils ready, and then reading a physical book in bed. It's my current plan. Uh, I like just, that. Yeah, establishing that and then sticking to it so that, you know, I can mentally prepare for bed that way. Is I have my plan for this week. <laughs> I'm excited to see what you do. I don't know if you've noticed this. In the past, what we've done last year, I'm like kind of revamping a few things for the Uncharted podcast, but last year what we did is every Monday when someone's episode launched, I had them do kind of like a day in the life on Instagram because I think, maybe I'm just nosy, but I think you learn a lot by seeing other people's day-to-day, -day, even if they're in a corporate job or they're in school or nannying or running their own business. Like there are certain things that always look the same for, or not always that like look very similar across the board. And then there are certain things that are very different. And sometimes I think it's the jobs that we glamorize. Is that a word? Glamorize? I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is now <laughs> that those are often the ones where you're like, Oh, you don't like Keisha, for example, she's like, you don't realize like how much of my day I spend doing emails and logistics and like you don't just get away from that because you are or doing are not in corporate world if anything you might have to do more of it so what I'm hoping is that instead of just one day we can do it for like a week so you'll get the Instagram account and whatever you're doing that week if you have you're doing the workouts in the morning or you're meal prepping 
or taking your dog Pongo for a walk or you have a habitat board meeting or whatever, kind of giving the listeners insight and why I started that tangent was so then maybe by Friday or Saturday you can show us what your routine is. We'll hold you accountable. Yeah, that'd be really cool. I would love that. And I would actually love to see what you do too. Because I've been trying something new where I don't allow my phone in the bedroom, like at all, um, which I think makes a big difference. But now I need to, I'm like you, I like to read before bed. So now I need to get more like physical books. Yeah. But I like that. Cool. Okay. And then to finish up, what is one quote that you live by that kind of inspires your day to day? Uh, we rise by lifting others. Oh, I don't know who said it. So <laughs> good. Let me, I'll Google it for you. <laughs> um, I love that quote. That sounds like um, Maya Angelou, maybe. It might be. Um, I love a lot of her quotes, so that would be appropriate. But yeah, I just love it because, you know, even when like something happens at work and you want to be like, have the catty response, you just like remind yourself, like, is this actually helping anyone in this situation? No, it's not. <laughs> Mm, I probably need to remember that someday. It was by um, Robert Ingersoll. I think he's an author. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. We Rise by Lifting Others by Robert Ingersoll. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. That was cool because kind of, it reminds me of, um, there's that, like, gif. It's, like, women who they, like, lean down and they, like, pull someone up and then that person leans down and pulls someone else up and then, like, the person above gets pulled up like and it's so cool because it's like none of us will really move forward unless we're you know bringing other people with us because that probably goes back to your military days like you can't get over the wall alone nope not even a little bit (laughs) all right well thank you for joining and talking on the uncharted podcast i hope you have a wonderful week and i'll see you i'll see you friday that's how we can that's how we can finish Duh. Perfect. Okay. Thanks so much. Have a fantastic week, everyone. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.